Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. We want to welcome you to our podcast today. We're going to begin our study of the Gospel of John. What I would like to do in this podcast is kind of provide us a little bit of an overview, an introduction to the Gospel of John that will hopefully enrich and enliven our study of the Gospel itself. The Gospel of John is the fourth Gospel written. comes down to us probably 65 years or so after the death of Jesus, maybe 60 to 65 years after the death of Jesus. And it had been written most likely by uh, some of John's students in Ephesus who were prodding him to, to write a Gospel, write his own version of the story. Uh, the Gospel of John is, is very distinct from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We, we commonly refer to Matthew, Mark, and Luke as the synoptic Gospels. The word synoptic means uh, to see together. And if you've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you might notice that there's a lot of material that's very common to each of the three Gospels, that they all seem to have the same stories, the same parables, and the same basic structure. But the Gospel of John is actually radically distinct. And it appears that John is taking Matthew, Mark, and Luke and kind of writing to complement them, writing to, to kind of not, he's fully aware of their contents, and he knows that his readers are fully aware of their contents, yet he wants to understand and let his readers understand that there's a side of the story that they're kind of missing or, or, or lacking in terms of identifying exactly who it is that Jesus was and, and, and what all of this meant. Uh, John 3.24 says um, that John the Baptist had not yet been thrown into prison. Uh, and that seems to suppose that John's readers know that John the Baptist was thrown into prison, which you find out when you read the other, uh, the other Gospels. The purpose of the Gospel of John is stated for us in chapter 20, verse 31. It says that you may believe, I have written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and may have life in his name. Now, the statement, you may believe, is actually a little bit ambiguous in the Greek, even as it is in the English. It could be taken to, stay, to make a statement that, that you might believe, meaning uh, you might begin to believe, you might come to faith. And many read the Gospel of John as an evangelistic uh, gospel that John wrote for the unbeliever that they might come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. But the statement may actually be translated that you may continue to believe. You may continue in the act of believing. Uh, and that seems to fit with the fact that you expect that the Gospel of John was written to Christians. After all, non-Christians are probably not going to pick this up in the first century world. Uh, it's circulated amongst the churches and, and, and the Christian community. Uh, nonetheless, it may be that John actually meant it to be ambiguous, that there's a sense where you read this gospel and you're going to continue in your belief and continue in this act of faith, having a better, richer, deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And it may also be that if you're an unbeliever, you actually might come to believe. Now, in the Gospel of John, it's important to note that in chapter 1, and we'll look at chapter 1 in detail in our next pod podcast, the thesis statement, uh, is found in John chapter 1, verse 18, that God the Son has made the Father known. No one has ever seen God, John says, but the one and only God has, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. We see this understanding that, that God has sent his own Son in order to make the Father known. Now, later on in chapter 14, we see kind of the climactic statement of the Gospel of John. Jesus tells the disciples at the beginning of the chapter that I'm going away, but it's for your good that I go. And he tells them in verse 4, and, and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Uh, and, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Philip then in verse 8 says, Lord, well, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus replies and says, have I been with you so long that you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. The thesis statement in the Gospel of John is verse one, chapter 1, verse 18, that God the Son has made the Father known. 
the climactic moment that occurs in chapter 14. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus has made the Father known. Now, in the Gospel of John, there's also a, a heavy theological emphasis, but that theological emphasis we, we oftentimes talk about in terms of, oh, it's to show Jesus' deity and the fact that Jesus was God. And, uh, and I think we oversimplify the Gospel of John when, when we do that, the idea that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are showing us the humanity of Jesus, but John's showing us the deity of Jesus. I think there's something much deeper and richer in terms of John's portrayal of Jesus. And what John's doing in his portrayal of Jesus is showing us that in Jesus, uh, the Old Testament is reaching its fulfillment. Jesus is, su- is assumed to have fulfilled many of the figures and institutions of the Old Testament. And as we survey these chapters in the Gospel of John, each chapter, we'll, we'll, we'll note these in detail, but we'll see in chapter 2 that Jesus is the new temple. Jesus is the one about whom Moses wrote. In chapter 6, he's the, he's the true bread from heaven. He's the, he's the true son. He's the true vine. He's, he's the true tabernacle. Even in chapter 3, he's the serpent in the wilderness, which sounds awfully strange and surprising. How, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man shall be lifted up. He's also the true Passover. Uh, Jesus, in this messianic fulfillment motif of the Gospel of John then, a person, Jesus himself, has fulfilled things or places. So Jesus is then introduces the true temple uh, in chapter 2. In chapter 3, when he the encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus is the true teacher. In chapter 4, with the woman at the well, he's the source of living water. In chapter 5, he's the one who works on the Sabbath and fulfills the Sabbath, just as the Father works. In chapter 6, Jesus is the true bread from heaven. And in chapters 7 and 8, he's the true water and the true light of the world in fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. So we see this idea of, of, of person fulfilling the concepts of place and of things in the person of Jesus. Now, it's also going to be important to note that about 80% of the narrative in the Gospel of John occurs in the city of Jerusalem, which is extremely significant when you realize that the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't have Jesus in Jerusalem very often. About 30% of the Gospel of Matthew has, is located with Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. But in the Gospel of Mark, which is the probably the staple Gospel, the first of the Gospels to have been written, Jesus doesn't even arrive in Jerusalem until chapter 11. For the first ten and a half chapters, Jesus has actually never visited Jerusalem if we only had the Gospel of Mark. It's John that clarifies for us Jesus' journeys in, in the city of Jerusalem. Another technique that John's going to use that, may, that we can probably perceive, and most uh, readers will perceive, is going to be John's use of irony. Uh, irony is going to be a, it's a literary technique. And what happens in this literary technique is the opponents of Jesus are going to make a statement about Jesus. That statement is going to be derogatory or sarcastic, um, yet it's more true or more meaningful than even they suppose. Now, John's going to present these statements, but he's going to leave them like unanswered because he knows that his readers actually know the deeper truth. For example, in chapter 7, verse 27, the Jews claim to know where Jesus is from. We actually know where Jesus is from. He's from heaven. They think by that they know where Jesus is from, meaning he, you're from Nazareth. The, the reality, however, is in ver, the very next verse, they refuse to accept the truth that Jesus is from God. Another example is in chapter 19, where Pilate brings Jesus out and says, Behold the man. And Pilate wants to show, look, I've beaten this guy up. He's beaten and bloodied and despicable. Look at this man, Pilate is saying. But in reality, John and his readers know Jesus is the man. The characters then in the story are often unaware that there's this deeper level and they often act with hostility towards Jesus because they're only acting at this lower level. We know who you are. You're just some average person who's making some extravagant claims. 
The readers, however, know that there's something much more deeper, much much deeper going on. Uh, we'll see in chapter eleven that uh, the, the the authorities say it's fitting that one man die on behalf of the nation. Now, if we kill this one man, they're thinking, then we're going to spare the rest of the nation because the Romans will persecute us and punish us if he keeps going around telling everybody he's a king. But we know the irony is, of course, Jesus's death was on behalf of the nation. Now, another element is John's use of misunderstandings. Uh, and this is going to be very common in the Gospel of John. There's, there's as many as 18 misunderstandings. And in, in a misunderstanding, Jesus is going to make a statement. And that statement's going to be ambiguous, it's going to be unclear, or maybe even metaphorical. And the partner or the person that he's talking with is going to respond by taking Jesus literally, thus showing them that they don't understand the deeper meaning that Jesus is getting at. Now, John is then going to help us out, the reader, because he's going to tell us that true meaning of what's, what's actually going on. For example, in John chapter 2, Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll, I'll raise it up. And the Jews look at Jesus and says, it took us 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days. And then John inserts a little note, Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. Now, in chapter 3, Jesus is going to have an encounter with a man named Nicodemus. And he's going to tell Nicodemus, you must be born again or you cannot inherit eternal life. And Nicodemus takes him literally and says, how can I enter my mother's womb a second time? And John's going to have, at least in the words of Jesus this time, explain to us, I'm speaking about being born of water and the Spirit. In John 4, Jesus meets a woman at a well. And he says, to the, he says to the woman, if you knew who it was, the gift of God, and who it was asking for you, you should have asked me and I would have given you living water. And, and the woman turns and says, but sir, the well's deep and you don't have anything to draw, draw water with. Where are you going to get this living water? So throughout the Gospel of John, then, we're going to see these misunderstandings where Jesus is going to make a statement. And that statement's going to be ambiguous or metaphorical. The person he's talking to is going to take him literally showing that they radically misunderstand what Jesus is, is talking about. And then John's going to help us, the readers, know by clarifying the deeper meaning and, and of what actually is going on. So in all, the Gospel of John is going to be really rich and really deep uh, without a good understanding of the Jewish uh, uh, festivals and feasts and elements of the, of the Jewish religion that are being fulfilled by Jesus. We're only going to be able to get a shallow understanding. So hopefully in these podcasts, as we go through each of the chapters of the Gospel of John, we'll be able to note, hey, here's the deeper, richer significance. This is what's going on at the Feast of Tabernacles in chapter 7 and 8. And when so Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, that's, the, that's what's happening in this context. And, and all of a sudden we'll go, oh my goodness, what a provocative statement of Jesus. So I hope these podcasts are a blessings to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.